Um, well, hello. I think we'll kick off as uh, quite a lot of us are here anyway. Uh, the important ones are here. Um, so welcome to today's session and thank you very much all for coming along. Um, this session is From Research to Policy, Academic Impacts on Government. Um, this has been organised um, by a group at the LSE Public Policy Group. Um, we're running a project called The Impact of Social Sciences that we run with um, teams of colleagues in Imperial College London and the University of Leeds. Um, and today we're going to be running through and hopefully getting some good discussion around this, this topic. We've got three sessions today. The first, um, taking the policymakers' view, so hearing from some people within government about how they try to factor academic research and expertise into their everyday policy-making decisions and forward planning. We're then going to be talking to some academics and hearing about the work that they've done on impact in policy-making or the methods they've tried to use to engage with the world outside of the university. And then we're going to, the last session is going to um, look at um, some times in the policy-making process where academic research or expertise can be fed in. So um, when you're thinking about major policy change, when you're thinking about evaluating how the policy process is being implemented, and when you're trying to look to the future and how academic research and expertise can have an impact on that. We're going to break up the day with lots of tea breaks um, and um, we're going to have a, a nice drinks reception at the end, so I do hope you can all stay around for that. Um, just to say, we are very happy for you to uh, tweet and whatever throughout, so we're not expecting phones off, but if you could turn your phones to silence so they don't ring in the middle, that would be great. Um, we're using the um, LSE Impact hashtag for those who want to uh, follow um, us tweeting on the event. Um, uh, a good way to keep up with the work that the project is doing is to look at our Impact of Social Sciences blog and we'll be hosting the podcasts um, from this um, session and any speaker presentations on that if you wanted to have a look at that after um, the end of the event. So I'm um, going to hand straight over to two of the Impact of Social Sciences team, Professor Patrick Dunleavy and Simon Basto. Thanks, Jane. Hi, well, I'm Pat Dunleavy. I'm chair of uh, LSE Public Policy Group. I'm a professor at uh, LSE, and uh, I hope that this will work. Yeah. So what we're talking about today is the whole interaction between government and social science. This is an area that's really rapidly changing now. Uh, and if you look on our blog, which Jane's been plugging to you, you'll see some really forefront thinking, not just about the way in which academics can have impact, but the whole nature and way in which academic research is changing, especially in the social sciences. And our number one customer all over the social sciences is government. Uh, it's amazing how, how government-orientated most social scientists are. Even people in business or, or economics or, or regulatory activity that you might think would be working much close, more closely with business. Actually, it's government that's the absolutely dominant customer of the social sciences in terms of use and, and development of the work. So uh, Jane's mentioned already some of the key things about this research. Uh, all of it is, is really very well uh, displayed on the Impact of Social Sciences blog. So if you haven't been there before, we do invite you to uh, not only go and read stuff and be passive 
consumers, but actually to contribute and tell us uh, key stories and, and impacts. We're, we're learning a lot about that. And I just wanted to say that what we're going to talk about today is really in two parts. Simon's going to just discuss some sort of fairly recent uh, outcomes and, and findings from the work. And at the end, I'm going to try and... Uh, say some optimistic things about the relationship between government and the social sciences, because on the whole, I've been to lots of these sessions before, and they often get to saying rather depressing things. So uh, I just actually do think this is a moment of sort of hope and change, and a little bit of a break in the, in the patterns of past relations. So uh, that's what we're going to do. And just to mention also, what is the social sciences? Everything in the blue area is the social sciences. So it extends quite extensively into the humanities, quite extensively into the uh, STEM disciplines, but not very much overlap with uh, creative arts and design, although, for example, design is a feature of our next book from NRC Public Policy Group, so design of public policy systems. I'm going to hand over to Simon. He's going to take you through some recent findings. Simon, yours. Thank you. We've got a lot of room up here. Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Simon Bastow. I'm a senior research fellow at the PPG uh, and have been there about, I think, about eight years. And over the years, we've done uh, a number of projects on the impacts of uh, social sciences in, in government and in society and in business and the private sector. And um, although this is, a, I guess, a forward-thinking, forward-looking day, uh, it's probably worth just focusing very, very briefly on on, on the, the past few decades of social sciences and, and, and government in particular and public policy. I mean, there's, there's been a lot written about it over the, over the decades, and I think you know, certainly during the 1970s and 80s, it tended to get a lot of coverage in the US and possibly on the continent in Europe. Um, and uh, even then, academics and social scientists and practitioners were, were quite sceptical about linear notions of of impact and stage-based you know, input-output-outcome type concepts of impact and saw impact as quite a complex thing, quite a, a layered thing and multifaceted thing. And, you know, there are some uh, sound bites up there that, from people like Carol Weiss and um, Henrik Wagner, a cloud of unknowing. Um, that was <laughs> in 19, uh, 1982 um, and suggested that, you know, that there was quite a lot of scepticism out there about how the understanding of how impact is, takes place and how it happens and the, the ver its variegated nature. I think sort of moving on in, into the 90s and into the late 90s, particularly under Labour and the, the, the birth of the concept of evidence-based policy and evidence-based policy making, um, you know, we begin to see sort of the, the impact of, of, of social science research sort of through a, a new public management lens and the idea of sort of instrumental rationality and the idea that policy should in some way be in, informed or under, underpinned by, by evidence, whatever that should be. And again, um, you know, academics and practitioners continue to sort of sceptical look at this. Um, and uh, I guess in some ways, you know, we see uh, the, the development of an architecture of impact in, in government um, through the research councils and through um, organisations like the Government Social Research network and um, chief scientists and so on. And so, you know, we, we, we've seen that architecture develop and, um, and also we sort of see, I guess, a greater pressure on, on academics to sort of to, um, to create their own legacies of impact, as it were. And there's a possible you know, danger of myth-making uh, in many 
um, stories of impact and case studies, um, at least from our point of view. Um, and moving on to, I guess, the more recent years and the digital changes, we see a sort of, I guess, what we might um, call a, a process of disintermediation where things like blogging and tweeting and uh, social networks allow researchers to interact more, much more directly with, with policymakers and society in general. And we see more real-time evolution of, um, of, of debates and discussions. And, you know, w- with the rise of things like Google and, um, and uh, uh, other sort of, uh, I guess, sort of uh, you know, more expansive web strategies, we see sort of uh, the virtual world m- mapping onto the real world in a way, and, and, and that's quite, been quite important for our research. So you know, what we've tried to do over the last, I guess, um, two years, I suppose, is to, is, is to find ways, um, a range of ways of, of understanding how impacts take place and, and, and the distribution of impacts across government and other, um, and other spheres. Um, I guess thinking about an academic's week or month, um, things that we do as academics uh, will have impacts on a number of fronts and in different ways, um, from uh, doing commission research for government, um, and that might be ex ante or ex post types of research. Um, and over the years we've seen home office, you know, many departments have, you know, have already used academic research in this way uh, a great deal. Um, we also see things like partnerships and co-funded research centres, and um, you know more sort of ad hoc, I guess, expert advice and engagement with and with with um, users of research. And at the bottom, I suppose, um, also using um, new types of social media, academics have a much more direct route to um, to the policy making world. So. One of the things, well, we've done a range of things in this research over the months, but one of the things has been to do a a large um, uh, Google search, to use Google as a means of of, um, tapping into what types of uh, impacts academics have and where they have them in in the world. And and, and underpinning that is this idea that actually the virtual world now in many ways reflects the the real world. And if we type in the name of an academic into Google we get and look at the first 200 results or so, we get a fairly good reflection of what they've been doing, where they've been having impact, and where they haven't been having impact. Now, of course, this is open to controversy. Many academics will say, well, um, you know, I, I, I was in Brazil last week talking to some, uh, civil servants, and there's no written evidence of that, and it's not going to turn up on, on the internet anywhere. Uh, and, of course, you know, there are limits to this. But um, generally, generally speaking, we think that, um, that this is a pretty reliable, and, uh, a reliable method and a pretty good comparative method for, for judging across disciplines and across um, uh, possible user areas. So we, we, we plugged in 220, uh, 264 social science academics into, into Google and went through a, 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 a fine-grained coding of what we got back, um, and we cut out the academics' general sort of university um, sites, uh, their own university, sorry, and, and, and retail book sites and so on and so forth, and tried to look specifically at, at the, uh, the sort of impact-relevant um, uh, results. Um, so 20% of these, of these results were in other university departments. So if uh, an academic writes a paper or writes a, you know, a, a, a book or whatever, then we, we found um, references to, the, to those academics in, in about 20% of, um, uh, sorry, in, in 20% of, the, <laughs> of the total in, in university departments. Uh, another 20% came with academic uh, publishers and journals, so this is the sort of bread and butter, I suppose, of, 
of, um, of, of their outputs. And another sort of 14%, 15% library references. So um, about sort of 55, 58% uh, was, was sort of taken up by, I guess, as I said, sort of uh, the standard academic output fare that um, we would expect. Um, we also found a lot of university departments now have, or you know, over the years, have developed institutes or groups or centres that appear to be, you know, very much in, very, in many ways independent from the departments, the universities themselves. And so, by tracking back and coding that, we could um, we could we could uh, identify about seven seven and seven or eight percent of um, of impacts in in that sphere. Um, and again, sort of professional associations, um, things like public, uh, political science association in our, in our case, uh, but um, any sort of institutes that, that were linked to ac professional academic groups scored in with about 7%. Independent think tanks and institutes, uh, another 4%, and media and press. And then this leaves us with about 20% uh, of, I guess, we're, you know, we, we, what we might call bona fide external impacts, uh, civil society, individuals, many of which were blogs, blog sites and individual websites, and, um, and private sector. And finally, government and policy at about 5%, uh, a magic 5%. I'll come back to that in a minute. This is a, a sort of uh, an international global map of, um, of impacts, um, which is where we found them. It's not to scale. It's uh, pretty much suggesting that we export about 66% of our of our of our of our, out, of our impact outputs, as it were, um, and you know that's not a, a bad representation outside of the English-speaking sort of Western world. Uh, what did the five percent consist of? Well, at the top research councils, and clearly they've played a, a key role over the years in, in as in intermediaries and as funders of research and. Uh, Academics turn up a lot um, on research council sites, but other UK, um, I guess, locations as we, we might expect um, are central central government departments, Home Office, um, DFID, and um, education came up quite high in there, and um, local government as well also uh, pitched in. Um, in an international sphere, then you know we found quite a lot. A lot in the UN domain, uh, other international uh, ministries and departments, and um, and also in Europe. So you know we have the five percent at the core, but we you know we, we could say also that impacts and you know outputs and all the work that academics do and uh, practitioners do is, is is a dynamic thing, and you know as a, we're all sitting in a room today, this wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be counted in the um, in the five percent but it's also you know a pretty important impact uh, relevant uh, experience for I hope for for most of you so you know we have to factor in the relationship between government and uh, and the uh, the other types the other sectors that I've mentioned um, so you know a more optimistic view would be to say well you know some of these might uh, might be government government relevant references and um, we were able to sort of code back through a lot of our data and just give a sort of broad brush guesstimate for what, you know, for the, the, the proportion of references in each of these uh, satellite areas which um, have meaning or have reference for government. So the 5% might be more like 16%, 20%. And this is ongoing work, so um, we're, um, we're ex expecting it to, 
to, to, um, to be more than 5%. I'll just look at the uh, disciplines quickly. Um, for um, our group of 264 academics, we, we looked at about uh, 12 different disciplines and academics from those. And uh, we coded them according to how their, 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 um, their references were turning up in different locations. This graph shows the references in, I guess, what we would call traditional bread and butter at type academic locations, so the, the libraries and the journals and the departments. Um, and we just looked at the variation from the mean of, of, of all the references. And we can see here that political science um, tends to sort of be quite strong, it's, um, as does philosophy and uh, history. In, 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 in the greater scheme of things on academic, what we would call pure sort of academic outputs. Um, at the other end, anthropology, social psychology, social policy and, social, and psychology are uh, much less sort of traditional academic publishers, I would say, and possibly more interdisciplinary and, and, and uh, tend to follow sort of different routes, marginally speaking. Um, looking specifically at government bodies, uh, it's interesting, but the things um, tend to reverse. Uh, so whereas we found history and philosophy as, um, as, as, as big sort of, uh, publishers in, in traditional academic locations, they tend to fall way to the bottom um, in terms of government. Uh, now, you know, this is not saying that all historians and philosophers have no influence on government, and over the, the years we've found evidence of of quite interesting innovations in, in, with historians working with policymakers. Um, I think there was talk of a chief histo historian um, in government a few years ago. Um, and, um, and philosophers also have worked with, in certain areas in bioethics and, um, and in other such areas we see sort of quite interesting collaboration. So you know, we're not saying that, this is, um, this is, that historians and philosophers have no influence, as it were. Um, at the other end of the scale, social policy, psychology, geography, these are the types of subjects that tend to find themselves in government, overrepresented in government. Um, and we've just sort of redone this, um, this scale to, uh, I, I showed earlier a slide of you know, taking into account the 16% and taking into account the, the sort of the dynamic aspects of, of impact. And um, we've just redone the scale to, 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 to show that. And similarly, we see social policy, psychology, geography, and anthropology is really the ones, the subjects which are having um, more than average um, in, well, impact, but uh, coverage in, in government spheres. Political science, unfortunately, drops, drops off a little bit. So I'm going to hand back to Patrick now just to finish up. And, uh, Thanks very much, Sam. Well, um, of course, these are uh, the, the numbers that Simon's just been reviewing are, are, are one part of the project. There's a lot of other work going on, and I wanted to just try and sum up some of the uh, kind of emerging findings that we're getting from our interview program and our study, case studies and other, other work, particularly uh, because it's, it's beginning to be a much more optimistic picture, I think, for the interaction between government and the social sciences than it has been in the past and we can think of it really about what's different now and hopefully bear this in mind when we go into our later discussions um, in terms of these three factors what's the demand for evidence and for social science within government why, why do we think it's changing and improving and there are new opportunities for social scientists uh, secondly we can think well what is the supply side like why are there more incentives within universities now than ever before uh, to deliver 
research and information in ways that are usable by governments, immediately and directly usable by governments. Uh, and we think there are a lot of developments there. And finally, as in every market, one of the huge, huge things in a market is the difficulty of transactions costs. That's the difficulty of customers finding out that there are suppliers and suppliers finding out that there are customers and the difficulties of negotiating any kind of relationship and keeping that relationship going, keeping the customer satisfied, keeping the supplier happy. So the transactions costs, the difficulties, and particularly the costs of communicating between government and the social sciences are radically reducing now in a way that has not happened before and which really brings us into a sort of a new era. So let's just run through those things. What are the key reasons? Why is demand rising in government? Well, one key reason is austerity. Government has less and less money and is going to have less and less money. Government needs to target resources in the most cost-effective ways. And the old days when there was lots of money to splash out on, you know, think tank research and seminars with consultants and consultants who charge you an arm and a leg for something fairly obvious, that's, that's really, uh, you know, gone into the past. Uh, it's been sat on very heavily by the coalition government in the first uh, two years. Um, so there's increased demand, I think, from a wide range of different levels and tiers and types of government agency that before wouldn't have really gone to academia to, to, to use university research. Um, and also, I think there's a bit of an emerging awareness in British government now that we are not a big superpower anymore. We're a pretty medium-sized power in the world where there are going to be very large blocks that are much bigger than us. And so to some extent, we need to kind of take on small state attitudes, attitudes that have been very live and around in Scandinavia for many, many decades, but have always been kind of, you know, rather cavalierly tossed aside in the UK and the cut and thrust of party politics. You only talk to the academics who are going to tell you exactly what you want to know. Well, maybe that's a, a, a style of government that is less uh, defensible now. Second big thing, I think, is that there's a huge trend in very large private sector firms towards the adoption of rigorously data-based decision-making, rigorously evidence-based, but particularly big data-based. And uh, this is so obviously and clearly superior in so many different contexts and so many different markets now that we expect that there will be a gradual shift of government decision-making processes towards more uh, essentially data-based, essentially digital data-based uh, decision-making, and that will have uh, a tremendous impact. And it will have a tremendous impact also as people come out, new generations of civil servants enter and um, really begin to critique the way in which their elders and betters are doing policy-making in a kind of slightly half-assed kind of way. And finally, we're moving into a more managerial politics uh, period. We've got, we've got some big ideology politics still going around immigration. We've got some big ideology politics still going on the, on the sort of neoliberal right. But on the whole, we're into a more uh, managerial politics. And that is uh, uh, fueled also by the fact that we've got more and more graduates who are more and more better informed. They're all accessing brilliant blogs like LSE's Public British Politics and Policy blog or a new Euro European blog. 
they've got lots more access to really detailed and up-to-the-minute topic information. That just makes it very, very difficult for the old style of ideology-driven politics to be sustained. So those, uh, if we turn to the universities, what's changed in the universities? And the obviously big elephant in the room is the shift from the old research assessment exercise and to the new research excellence framework, which of course includes 20% of all uh, research-based funding being allocated on the basis of impacts. And uh, looking at the signals, we expect that that ratio will rise in the 2019 REF, if there is such a thing, uh, probably towards about 30%. So that's a huge new incentive for universities. And what it begins to do, it begins to open up a, a route which is still a fragile, dangerous, unconventional, difficult to explain, but interesting new route towards uh, mainstreaming uh, impact activities. And the way to think about that is that if you do a four-star impact research case uh, for your department, we reckon it's worth 500 to 600,000 pounds over the next five years of the, the ref. Finally, of course, there's a lot of changes inside research itself. Research itself is changing, particularly in the social sciences. The whole of the human civilization is moving online, and the social sciences are following it online very slowly and belatedly. But it does mean that uh, research methods and research opportunities and the scale and feedback of research are changing uh, very radically. And that's good for government because topical research, uh, research that's you know, right up to the minute, uh, is very useful. And finally, we've got these huge changes in the transactions costs of government finding out what academics are doing and of academics thinking about, anticipating, and being able to... Uh, allocate their research activities in relation to, to what's, uh, what's happening in government. And so the big gro growth of social media has radically cut communication and uh, transactions costs. It's changing the nature of research. It's changing what counts as good methods. So if you're running a research project now and you don't have a blog, my question to you is, why? Why aren't you putting a blog really very much at the centre of your research process uh, and then other things like now, for example, I think Twitter streams are a very important and, 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 and vital role for, for research projects, both in communicating out and in getting information back in. So some people have suggested that we're moving out of the past century of dominance of universities into a new kind of Republic of Blogs era, which is analogous to the Republic of Letters period in the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries when universities were endemically corrupt and not very good at developing knowledge and knowledge uh, definition, knowledge formation moved out of universities and into a sort of correspondence networks. We can see a modern equivalent of that happening in the current uh, blogging and uh, social media area. And finally the siloing of knowledge slightly spelling mistake there is beginning to radically decrease. So all of these are very good reasons why we think this is the absolute you know, key time to be more optimistic about the role of social science and government. And I'm going to uh, finish there and hand over to Jane who will lead us into our next session.